on the book of Galatians. Now aren't you excited, okay? We're going to go through a whole book. Now, I'm uh, as an evangelist, sometimes you may know this, but um, uh, pastors usually take a little more time going through a book, but sometimes we evangelists, we only got one shot, so I'm going to preach on the whole book. Now, don't get too worried. This is what's called a flyover, a flyover. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but particularly now with maps and Google Earth and things like that, sometimes uh, you can just get on your little handheld device and you can do a flyover. You ever done that? And uh, kind of life sometimes looks a little different when you look at it from up top and you see things you don't normally see when you're on ground level. And, and my dad always learned before you buy a piece of property, always do a flyover. This was back before, of course, uh, mobile devices. and Because uh, you want to see exactly, you know, everything. You see things from the, the, the air you don't necessarily see from the ground. So I uh, want us to do a little bit of a flyover of the book of Galatians. Now, most of you know the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul but it is a unique Pauline epistle, one of which because there is no commendation. No commendation. Now, that's kind of stunning, isn't it? Uh, I'll be honest with you. When you look at the uh, church at Galatia versus the church at Corinth, I would think if anybody uh, should have had commendation withheld, it would have been Corinth. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody who's ever gone through Corinth, those guys had a lot of problems. But he actually does not withhold commendation there, but he does from Galatia. The reason is because Galatian problem, the Galatian error was a big deal because it had to do with the core of the gospel. And so what I want us to do is to kind of run through the book of Galatians. Now, we're going to go some. This is not just theology in the sense that just uh, we're not going to deal in ivory towers. I want to get down where we live because I believe that's what Galatians is all about. But the book of Galatians was not written to people who claimed to be saved and weren't. Often throughout the book of Galatians, he addresses them as brethren or beloved brethren. Clearly, he knew he was addressing saved people. But the problem was, once they got saved, uh, they allowed a perversion of the gospel, which was it really affected them from a sanctification standpoint. And as a result of that, it really messed things up. 
So we often call the book of Galatians dealing with the problem of legalism. Now, the legalism word is a word that's thrown around a lot. You know what I'm talking about? And usually a legalist is somebody who's stricter than I am. Okay, that's really not a fair definition, is it? Because the truth is, I've known people to be very conservative and very strict who clearly were not legalists. Because I say this carefully, legalism has nothing to do with your rule book. It has everything to do with why you do your rule book. It, it's not, the, it's not a, a matter of somebody who has standards or has uh, application by which they live by. That's not the issue that makes it. It's uh, what, do they, what do they look to, what are they depending upon in order to live what they believe God wants them to do. So I want us to go through this because I have seen in my short life, and I know I'm preaching to people who've lived a lot longer than I have. I'll just tell you right now, I was born in 1960, and uh, I have lived 56 years of life. So I know for some of you, that's a spring chicken. I recognize that. But um, uh, for others of you, that's old. When I was a teenager, somebody who was 40 years old had one foot in the grave. You know what I'm talking about. But things change the older you get. But um, uh, so I uh, have a little bit of life under my belt, and I have certainly seen this. If I can broad brush the independent Baptist movement, if there was a problem in the independent Baptist movement, at least as I was growing up, is there was some who had, not all, but some who had a legalistic mindset, according to the book of Galatians. But I will tell you, friend, there has been a reaction to that, to the other error. Now, I'm going to call that license. Do you know that the book of Galatians deals with both legalism and license? And it deals with what, of course, is the truth in between. Uh, just several weeks ago, I was in uh, the state of North Dakota. And uh, I uh, was uh, preaching at a camp for uh, just a local church. And it wasn't a big camp, but it was uh, a group of kids. And, and uh, the uh, youth pastor used to be in the Air Force and was stationed in Korea. Now, I, don't, I, I may be getting this a little bit wrong, but he said that outside the air base there, there were rice fields. And uh, there were narrow pathways in between those rice fields, and he said sometimes they would, I know this is kind of gross, but they would flood the rice fields with uh, sewage, uh, kind of like a fertilizer to fertilize the rice fields. <laughs> uh, that doesn't really make eating rice very appetizing, but anyway, and uh, so uh, uh, they would warn the airmen that when you come into the base, you better be careful, and you better not come in drunk because if you fall in the ditch, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Now, I think we all understand that in that scenario, you have got two really bad ditches on either side of the road that you want to stay on. But let me just say a little bit about the road you want to stay on, then we're going to get into the book of Galatians, and I want to look at both ditches because I think the ditches uh, are, are, are killing us. They're killing us. Uh, let me just simply say something that happened, and this, uh, hopefully, we'll, you'll be able to get this. Um, about a year ago, probably I'm saying now a bit more like 11 to uh, 10 and a half months ago, God uh, began to work in the leadership of uh, my home church about challenging people to spend one hour with God. It really was an hour of prayer. To make a long story short, it was a progression. It was clearly God in it. I won't tell the whole story, but I will simply say that several of our people have, um, have made the challenge to pray an hour a day. And what happens when people really pray an hour a day? Now, let me just simply say, praying an hour a day is one of those things you can't do unless God shows up. You know what I'm talking about? That's like impossible. So what happened is, or what has been happening, is people are beginning to meet, meet with God. People begin to meet with God. When you spend an hour with God and you spend an hour, you know what prayer is. Somebody's put it this way. Prayer is the breath of dependence. 
Anybody out here who has a significant time you spend with God in prayer, may not be an hour, but you do regularly spend time with God, know that prayer is a time where you really are crying out to God. You're depending on God to do things you know you can't do. Now, what happens when you spend a lot of time in prayer is you learn, you, you have an attitude in your life uh, of dependence. I mean, you spend an hour depending on God. Now, if I could say it this way, and this, this is uh, maybe maybe just to kind of visualize it, what happens when, when I began to notice, when people start spending extended times with God in prayer, they learn to depend on God on a different level. And can I say this carefully? The dependence leaks out into their life. So that they began to live a moment-by-moment -moment dependence on Jesus for everything. Can I say that carefully? That's the Christian life. You ever heard that song, Day by Day? I tell people I'm not a day-by-day -day Christian. I'm a moment-by-moment. -moment. Some of you are good enough Christians to be day-by-day. -day. It's moment-by-moment -moment for me. I can't do it day-by-day. -day. Well, actually, the day-by-day -day couldn't either. No, listen to the words. Day-by-day -day and with each passing, strength I find. See, really, the day-by-day -day guy was a moment-by-moment -moment guy, too. The point is, the Christian life is a constant dependence on Jesus for everything spiritual on your life. Because when you and I begin to, to default to any measure of self-dependence, guess what happens? We're back into trouble. And it doesn't work. Now, let's just ask ourselves, is American culture a God-dependent culture or is it a self-dependent culture? And the answer is, yeah, you ever heard of the American dream? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You know, I'm thinking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I may have said this before. Have you ever thought about the impossibility of that? We could take the strongest person in the auditorium, go outside afterwards, get the whole church around them, tell them to grab their shoelaces, and cheer for them to pull themselves up. We could be here all night long, and guess what? They're not going to permanently pull themselves all up at all. There's something called the law of gravity. Ever heard of it? See, if you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, in the physical realm, I don't think you could do it in the spiritual realm. The truth is, the Christian life, uh, if we really get the, the, the book of Galatians here, is a life of faith. I'm going to put it this way. It's a life of constant dependence on Jesus to enable us to do what we could never do unless he enabled us to do it. Now, let me help you with this as well. I was preaching a few year, uh, months ago up in the state of California, and uh, it was the mountains just uh, east of Los Angeles. About 150 kids were there, and uh, I remember a young pastor, and I know he meant well. I know he meant very well, but he was sincere, but he was, I think, wrong. He got up, and he said to the kids, now, kids, the Christian life's hard, and the Christian life's difficult. I know that. Well, I felt necessary without embarrassing him to correct that thinking. So I got up later on preaching, and I said, now, you, you know, young people, the Christian life's not hard. The Christian life's not difficult. It's impossible. <laughs> Now, there's a difference. Because if the Christian life is hard and difficult and you fail, you know what the answer is? Gut it out, buddy. Grit your teeth a little bit longer. Try a little bit harder. That may be good for football, but it doesn't work for the Christian life. You say, what do you mean? Well, I want to ask you a couple questions and see if you can help me with this impossibility thing. How much of the Bible can you spiritually be impacted by without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is none of it. Every preacher who has ever been used of God knows that. You need God to illumine people's hearts. Okay, how about this? 
How much effective praying can you do without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, well, that's interesting. How many people can you win to Jesus without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, how many other believers can you spiritually encourage and spiritually comfort and help without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, none. Okay. How much true victory can you have over sin? Let me explain this. There's a difference between false victory and true victory. You know what false victory is? Preacher, that woman, what she said to me makes me so mad. But you know what I'm learning to do? I just grit my teeth and I don't say anything. That's called false victory. You know what true victory is? Not wanting to grit your teeth and say what you should. <laughs> you say, well, preacher, that's impossible. That's my point. So how much true victory can you have? It's a victory that comes from the heart, that is supernatural. How much true victory can you have without the Holy Spirit? And the answer is zero. Are you, are you tracking with me? The Christian life's not hard and difficult. It's impossible. And that's the glory of it. The very impossibility of it is just exactly what happened when you got saved. Because when you got saved, how much of salvation, you know, are we responsible for? And the answer is none of it. If we were responsible for part of it, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? You know, there are people outside these walls that are trying to get to heaven, that think that what they do has some bearing on what they do. Now I want to ask you, how many of you were at a point in your life where you believed that good works or doing good things was at least responsible or partially responsible for your getting to heaven? How many of you had that thinking in some measure before you got saved? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, you can put your hands down. You talk to these people, I can guarantee you they will tell you that was not a fun time in their life. Because you always wonder, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Because every man knows how bad his heart is. Everybody does. Isn't it a wonderful thing when you realize Jesus does it all? <laughs> I'm trusting him to do it all because I couldn't do any of it even if I was responsible for it. I couldn't do it. Okay, so we get that on salvation, so I'm simply saying the Christian life. So what is legalism? Legalism, friend, in the Christian life, and Galatians is primarily dealing with legalism in the Christian life, legalism is returning to a works, flesh-dependent mentality. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. So go to verse number 6 of Galatians chapter number 1. I know that was a long introduction, but hang with me. It says, I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, the word another, let me just stop there, is the Greek word heteros. We use it in English. It means another of a different kind. Then he says, verse 7, which is not another. That's a different word. It's the word halos, which means another of the same kind. So what he's saying is, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the grace of Christ and another of a different kind of gospel, which is not another of the same kind. For there be some which trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, he's talking about what we might call a heteros gospel or an opposite gospel. The word pervert literally means to turn to the opposite. So can I simply say that legalism is a false gospel. It's an opposite gospel. It's opposite of the true gospel. And God says it's not another of the same kind. It's different. It's another of different kind. It's an opposite gospel. I think most of us get that because we understand that when it comes to salvation. And he deals with that particular in chapter 2. We won't have time to go through that. But he deals with uh, a works mentality in salvation. And boy, some clear verses there. But toward the end of chapter 2, he switches to those who already have been saved by faith but had moved to a works dependence or a flesh dependence in the Christian life. Now, I want you to see this. Look at verse number 21 of chapter 2. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I say this carefully. 
righteousness does not come by the law. It comes by grace. It's supernatural. Not just positional righteous salvation. Practical righteousness, sanctification, comes by God's grace. God supernaturally intervening in our lives to enable us to be righteous. Can I put it this way? The Bible says that my righteousness is our righteousness, as Isaiah said. Did you notice Isaiah said our and included himself? All of our righteousnesses are as? You believe that? Now, I'm not talking about before you were saved. I'm talking about after you were saved. Because when Isaiah wrote that, he said our. Was Isaiah saved? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, he was. So he's talking about believers. So what he's saying is this. Any kind of righteousness that is produced by self-dependence stinks in the nostrils of God. The only kind of righteousness that pleases God is Jesus' righteousness. And it's a great mystery. But when you and I depend on Jesus to enable us, it is his righteousness gets fleshed out through our dependent obedience. I can do all things through who? Which strengthens. So it's Christ's strength. It's his right. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. So true righteousness, Christ's righteousness, is fleshed out through the life of a believer as we depend upon him. And then we obey him in dependence on him to enable us to do it. Now, he continues on. Now, we're gonna, he's going to ask some questions, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and answer them. Okay. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? Well, let's not answer that one, but this one, how about? This only what I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So how did you get saved? Works of the law or? Then he says, are you so foolish? We won't answer that one either. Okay, but let's go to the next one. Look at verse 3. Um, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And I got the question for you, friend. If you began by trusting Jesus, trusting the God Jesus to, for his Holy Spirit to regenerate you, if, if that's how you started, are you made perfect or mature? Do you grow in the Christian life by flesh dependence? And the answer is no. So if you don't grow by flesh dependence, you grow by what? If it's not the flesh, it's the opposite, which is the spirit. Now, what energize or what activates, maybe it's the wrong word, activates the spirit's involvement in our life? And the answer is works or faith. And the answer is so what he's simply saying, he's contrasting the true gospel. Now, we're talking to Christians now. He's contrasting the true gospel, what I call the gospel of the saint. The true gospel versus the false gospel. And you could use the same dichotomy when it comes to salvation, uh, the gospel to the sinner. Okay, so here it is. Uh, the Christian life is a walk of faith, a dependence on Jesus to enable us to do what we can never do unless he enables us to do it. And the false gospel is self dependence. I want to ask you a question. If somebody's trying to get to heaven through any measure of self-dependence, how much a percentage of self-dependence sabotages their way to heaven? And the answer is any amount. One-tenth of one percent. Okay, so if that's true, when it comes to salvation from sin and hell, I got to ask you, you think that might be true in what we call sanctification of the Christian life? How much self-dependence sabotages true victory or true progress in the Christian life? And the answer is any amount. So here's the first ditch. The first ditch is any measure of self-dependence. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. America kills us on this. 
Because our country preaches to us, you can do it. Reach down inside. In fact, you ever see some of these cartoons that Disney pulls out, and they're almost the same thing. You know, you can do it, dream a dream. You can. I will tell you that that philosophy in the spiritual realm is wrong. Because humanity is absolutely bankrupt when it comes to spiritual goals. It's impossible. But our culture so preaches it to it that most Christians believe it to some degree. You're just going to try a little harder. Got to work a little harder. Now, I'm not at all against action. In a moment, we'll see this because the other ditch deals with this. But I want us to see the very first ditch is the ditch of self-dependence. Any measure of it. So if you're handing out these tracts in self-dependence, you think that's a good thing. And the answer is, so here's what you need to do. God, would you lead me to the right people? So I hand out these tracks. Would you use these tracks and you do in their heart and life what I could never do? I'm dependent on you to do it all. Now, I'm going to obey you. In a moment, we're going to see the other ditch. I'm going to obey you and pass them out. But, uh, and actually, it is, you, you've heard this, faith without works is. So if we're really trusting Jesus to enable us to do the impossible, what will you do? And the answer is, we will take steps of obedience to do the impossible. Trusting Jesus to enable us to do what we couldn't do. People who believe that Jesus can show us how to pray and can enable us to pray, guess what they'll do? They'll pray. People who believe the Holy Spirit can teach them truth from the Bible, guess what they'll do? They'll read the Bible. Boy, you're getting it. People who believe Jesus can use them to win people to Jesus, what will they do? They will open their mouth and give the gospel. People who believe that God, Jesus can use them to hand out gospel tracts where the gospel seed will go where they cannot go and believe that God will use it in their hearts, guess what they do? They pass out tracts. I got a question for you. Everything I just mentioned, could you have a legalistic attitude toward prayer, Bible reading, soul winning, or tract handing out? And the answer is yes. All of them are good things. How about this? Holiness of life. Could you have a legalist attitude toward, you know, I want to I obey this command. And God says be holy. And so I want to be holy in what I look at. I want to be careful what I look at. I want to be careful the music I listen to. I want to be careful and be not conformed to this world's in the Bible. I, could, could you have a legalist act attitude toward those standards? And the answer is, yeah, you could. Now, it doesn't mean the standards are bad. It just means that you approach them the wrong way. You approach them with self-dependence. And self-dependence always sets you up for what? And that is failure. You may fool other people, but you're not fooling yourself and you're not fooling God. Okay, so self-dependence is the ditch on the one side. It's true legalism. Self-dependence, when it comes to salvation, will send you to hell. Self-dependence, when it comes to the Christian life, will leave you in failure, discouraged, and defeated. Are you tracking with me? Okay, that's the one ditch. Now let's ask ourselves a question. Those of you that have been in good churches all your life, has that certainly been a ditch that we have sometimes not been careful of? And I think the answer for me, not necessarily my father's ministry, but if I've looked at the movement, yeah, I see examples. And I've heard preaching that was urging you perhaps to be self-dependent in your obedience, which set me up for failure. Okay. Now, the danger at this point is, and this is where a lot of people go, yeah, I'm not going to be a legalist. So I'm not going to have any standards, and I'm just going to let live and let live. Okay, now what's happening is this. Now, don't miss this. The book of Galatians starts with dealing with legalism. Guess what it deals with? At the end of the book, it deals with license. Now, don't miss this. Legalism has a faith problem. Don't miss this. License has an obedience problem. 
See, license, you're going to see this. In fact, let's just go. Let's go here to Galatians chapter 5 because I want you to see it. I don't want you to take my opinion for it. I want you to see he begins to deal with the other problem. This is really unbelievable. Look at verse number 5. It says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Okay, we, we talked about that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which, what's that net word? Next word. Worketh. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not, what's that next word? Obey. So now they're no longer having a faith problem. Now they're having an obedience problem, okay, which ends up being a faith problem, but it's a, a different side of the coin. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you a little leaven, leaveneth, leaveneth the whole lump. Look down to verse number 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Now help me out now. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now if I could put it this way. If legalism is an opposite gospel, license is a counterfeit gospel. Now what I mean by license is, it packages itself with the right terminology. It just redefines it. So license talks about liberty, but what they really mean is permission. So liberty, instead of its liberty, let me just say this, Bible liberty is not the liberty to do what you want to do. It's the liberty and the power and the desire to do what he wants you to do. That's real liberty. Now, when somebody screams and yells about liberty, it usually means they're using it as an occasion for the flesh. So they talk about liberty, but what they mean is permission to do what they want to do. They talk about faith, but it's a faith that does not obey. And they talk grace, but they have turned it into lasciviousness. So license is a counterfeit gospel. Now, don't miss this, friends. I believe that what's happened in, I'm talking now broader than independent Baptists. I'm talking about the whole movement out here, and this is broad brushing, but I hope you'll get this. What is happening in a reaction to what may have been legalistic, we are now living in license. Because most people today, the real issue comes down to they have an obedience problem. They are not obeying what God says to do. And we've got all, and we package it. You, you go to those kind of churches, they'll talk about grace, they'll talk about faith, they'll talk about the spirit, they'll talk about liberty. But the truth is, can I put it this way? Flesh dependence, when you react to it, means you'll end up in flesh indulgence. So have you seen this happen? Here's a, a family or a, a, a husband and wife, and they're very conservative, very strict. Nothing wrong with that. I tell people all the time, if you knew what I believed, I'd scare you half to death. But anyway, okay, so I understand conservative, et cetera. Uh, so that's not the problem. But they're very conservative and very, um, uh, very strict, and, uh, but yet they are very condescending. And their spirit, they're, they're rough on people, and they, et cetera. You see very clearly the Holy Spirit's not, just not in it. Okay? I, I'm not telling you to shake your head, but I'm sure some of you say, I've seen that. Now, you don't, don't miss this. What generally happens is uh, people like that react to themselves and they end up over in license. They go from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. I put this way, they go down the loosey-goosey church, everything goes, they throw all their standards out the window, and they end up living just like whatever they want to do. You ever seen that happen? I have a lot. So I put it this way. If you are flesh dependence, you will end up in flesh indulgence except if you meet Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation. 
in your Christian life, if you learn moment by moment, depend on Jesus, you will not end up in the flesh indulgence uh, ditch. So many times people react from flesh dependence, legalism, to flesh indulgence, license. And I will tell you, friend, I've told the students of Baptist College of Ministry, we're a conservative college, but I said, you know, I know you well enough to know most of your problem is not legalism. If you have a problem, it's license. Your problem is you do not obey God like you know you should. Now, let's just go through some things, friends, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but I've learned with teenagers, they usually don't get it unless you kind of put it out there plainly. So I could put it out there plainly, could I pretend you're a bunch of teenagers? Well, the truth is you are. You're just, like I said, preaching to adults is like teenagers with wrinkles. Okay, but anyway, okay, so I'm just going to pretend you're a bunch of teenagers with wrinkles. Okay, God says in his word, be not conformed to this world. That's what it says. So the question I would ask today, are Christians today conformed to the world? I mean, do you see Christians who look worldly? And the answer is, years ago, I was walking into a store, and this lady walks out, and I walk up to her and said, are you a Christian? She says, yes, I'm a graduate of Pensacola Christian College, and we, we talked for a few minutes. So I want to ask you a question. How do you think she was dressed? You catch my point? I knew there were three options. Either... She was an independent Baptist, a Mormon, or she'd just come off the little house in the prairie set. One of the three. Now, the point is, she wasn't conformed to this world. But the truth is today, you go to the average Christian college, even our so-called conservative Christian colleges, and you see the kids in town, you can't tell the difference. There was a day when you were in a Christian college town, you could go into town and say, oh, there, they go to them. They must go, they go to that college, they go to that college. You with me? Can't do that anymore. Now, I'm telling you, friends, and you're not, you're not going to like this, that's license. We've drop-kicked Romans 12, 2 out of the Bible. And we scream and yell about legalism, and the truth is we've traded it for flesh indulgence. You say, well, there you go, preacher. That's just, yeah, rules, rules, rules. No, I'm talking about, friend, I'm not, I don't want you to be conformed to the world because some preacher is telling you to be conformed to the world. I want you to be conformed to the world because you're walking with Jesus, you love him, and you learn how to walk by faith, and Jesus enable you to not be conformed to this world and love it. I tell people the Christian life is not going around and saying, oh, what a bummer. I can't be like the world. What a bummer. Oh, this is just terrible, but I'll be a good little Christian and I won't dress like the world. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not dressing like the world and loving it. See, the Christian life is not saying, well, I'm a good little Christian. I'm not going to watch that movie, though everybody's watching. Oh, I sure wish I could watch it. Boy, I'll be a good little Christian. I won't. No, no. The Christian life is not watching the movie you have no business watching and loving it. See, that's the Christian life. It's so walking with Jesus that you're living in dependence on him, and you're living on him to enable you to do what you know you couldn't do so that you learn to love what he loves. I don't know about you, but my flesh loves sin. I bet you yours does too. What I've learned is I don't innately hate sin. I don't. Jim Van Gogh does not hate sin, but I will tell you the Holy Spirit does. And when I depend upon the Holy Spirit and you depend upon the Holy Spirit, guess what? His loves and hatreds become ours. It's supernatural. It's called grace. So that you actually don't watch things that you used to love to watch, and you're kind of going, man, you're kind of glad I'm not watching that anymore. I will tell you today, we are living in a generation when few Christians understand what I'm talking about. They think liberty is just get off my back, preacher, let me live like I want to live. 
So they watch movies, they watch television programs, they hear cursing, they see bed scenes, they see filth, and they just think, well, you know, just life, you've got to navigate it. And they wonder why they have no power, why they don't see answers to prayer, and why Jesus isn't real. All I'm simply saying, friends, in the book of Galatians tells us that if you've got a self-dependence problem, you will one day have a self-indulgence problem. If you don't meet Jesus. And I'm talking about that moment by moment, Walk with God where you depend upon him for the grace to enable you to live the Christian life. I'm not talking about gritting your teeth and I'm going to do it because I have to. I'm talking about taking steps of obedience because you want to. You know, sometimes people look at our students at Baptist College of and they say, well, boy, that's awful conservative. You know what? I think some of our students are the freest on planet Earth. You know why? Because we teach over and over. You don't live the Christian life by cutting it out. You live the Christian life by depending on Jesus to enable you to do it. So you can actually keep the rules here and love it. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 13 we're supposed to keep the rules. Did you know that? That you can keep the rules anywhere, whether it's United States law or the rules of your corporation or the rules of whatever. You can do it. Why? Because Jesus can enable you to do it because he tells us to. And see, we're living in a day when these kind of things are misunderstood. So. My point here in, in the book of Galatians is really to challenge you. Okay, are you in one of the ditches? Are you living in self-dependence? You know what happens when you get in self-dependence? You fail. And after a while, you get tired of your failure. So when you get tired of your failure, here's what you do. You take all the standards you've been living and you dumb them down. And you know what you're in? License. You have taken liberty and you're using it for an occasion and you'll call it liberty. You'll package it, oh, faith, grace, all this stuff. But you redefine grace to be permission to do what you want to do. And you redefine faith in a way that becomes nebulous and it doesn't rubber me throat. You know somebody who's walking by faith? Somebody who's walking by faith speaks up for Jesus all the time. Not because they have to, it's because they have to. Did you get that? Not because the preacher's making them do it or some other external pressure in their life, but because there's an inner compulsion. They love Jesus, and they just want to tell people what Jesus is doing for them. They got to. See, friends, that's the Christian life. And I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not. But I will tell you, I've tasted enough to know that Jesus is the one who satisfies. The rule book does not satisfy. But Jesus satisfies, and he enables you to keep the rule book. I'm speaking of the word of God and the applications he leads you to. You know, he does lead us to applications. You know that, don't you? He may lead you to a stricter application than he leads me. Maybe because of poor choices you've made in your life, you've got to be more careful than I do or vice versa. But he does lead us. Do you know that? He leads us. He knows what you can do and what you cannot do. And for some of you in this room, God might say, you know, you, you, better, not, you, you better not listen to that radio program. You're not, better, it hurts you spiritually. So the point, friends, is um, tonight, is uh, which ditch are you in? In the ditch, or are you walking on that Christ walk? What I'm going to call that Christ walk. It's that walk with Jesus. Moment by moment, faith, dependence on him. So self-dependence, self-indulgence, or Jesus' dependence. <laughs> the walk of faith where there's true liberty, true grace, true faith, and true Holy Spirit empowerment. Can I ask every head bow, please, and every eye closed? It's about an eyes are closed.
If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.